Hello and welcome back to another episode of Extraordinary with me, James Wallace. In this episode, I sit down with my former boss turned personal life coach, Claire Sanders. Claire tells me about what it was like to end a 10-year relationship and find herself single in her 40s. She also guides me through what it was like to leave a corporate job after 25 years and retrain as a life coach and how she's been able to lean into new life experiences. Claire is super inspiring and I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did. As ever, please be sure to subscribe and follow from wherever you're listening from to be notified of future episode releases. Enjoy the show. So Claire, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, always, I mean, it's been, God, five, six, seven years. So, four years, I think. Yeah, 2017 I left. Only four years, it feels a lot longer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so yeah, I've not seen you for four years. Um, so for those that don't know, you used to be my boss. Uh, we worked in advertising together, so that was always fun. We had lots of lols um, <laughs> across the desk. Um, and yeah, I guess now now the tables have turned and I get to interview you rather than you always asking me about what, if I've done my work or not. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining. We've got so much to, to cover today because you are an interesting character. Um, <laughs> so before we begin, as I always do, um, please introduce yourself um, and tell everyone who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Claire, and as you said, I used to work in marketing and advertising, so 25-year career in London, um, yeah, in ad agencies and then in big marketing teams. But um, in the last year, I've actually trained as a coach, so I'm now doing one-to-one personal coaching with clients. Um, I'm looking to also work with businesses, so that's kind of part of my sort of short-term, medium-term plan. And I'm also working with the mental health charity Mind um, on a project with them right now. So kind of, I guess the two are linked, the kind of, you know, mental health, coaching, they all kind of come under the same umbrella. So yeah, that's that's what I'm up to. Super, super interesting. And and I'm going to come on to your career in a little while because there is, there's a lot in there. And I'm really interested to know how one chops and changes their career and just decides after 25 years to start start again um and yeah I'm, I'm just really interested in in how people have, have done that but before we do that mm. one of the other things that I think you and I talked a lot about when we worked together was was about relationships because you had mm. if you don't mind me saying you had just come out of a 10-year relationship that ended in in mm. divorce and I think you were mm-hmm. I don't even want to say this, but I think you just hit your 40s or late 30s. Yeah, I turned 40. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, I hit 40. Yeah, <laughs> You hit 40. So I'm just that interested to know what that period of your life was like and what, what that felt like. Because I imagine that is completely, oh, sorry, that's completely not um, not really the done thing, I guess, in your circles. Yeah, so, I mean... You know, I I actually spent quite a lot of my 30s single, so early 30s, you know, when everyone's kind of getting coupled up and, you know, a wedding every other weekend and then all the kids start coming. And I mean, I didn't actually meet my ex-husband until sort of my early 30s. So, you know, those 20s and 30s when everyone's getting coupled up, I was kind of the perpetually single one. Um, and then I met my husband and we got married when I was 35. So we were together for like four years and then got married at 35. And you know what? It's like, it wasn't, nothing went wrong per se. There wasn't like one specific thing. It was just lots of little things that kind of built up over time. And I did, it was one of those things where you hit 40 and I kind of just went, is this, are we happy? And we'd been to, you know, we'd really tried, we'd been to marriage counselling. We had kind of tried to address a few of the issues between us, but we just weren't making each other happy anymore. And it did take me probably two years to pluck up the courage to leave. Um, And it is the hardest thing without a doubt that I've ever done in my whole entire life. Um, I still remember the moment that I had that conversation that 
it was done. And yeah, I mean, I just kind of, I, I wrote a script and that sounds really, really weird, but I just wanted it to come out the right way. Um, and I wanted to do it as as gently as possible, if, if that's even, do you know what I mean? It's like, mm, how can mm. I do this without creating any more hurt than I need to? Um, and I do remember saying, I think that we are not bringing out the best in each other. Um, I think that we want different things now. And I think that we should set each other free with the exact words that I used. Wow, that's quite poetic. I mean, how was that journey, though? As in, what was it that made you get to that final point where you made that decision? Was it a process of talking to friends and family or even a therapist? Uh, you said it took two years. What What was yeah. the final straw that said, you know, when you said, I remember the moment, what, what was the moment? So I think the moment was turning 40, and that sounds like such a cliche, but like mm. a new decade. And I, I remember specifically this moment in the shower and I always have my best thoughts in the shower. There's something about that kind of that soothing hot water. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Don't and we like, all, don't just... we all, yeah. And I remember thinking, is it scarier to stay or is it scarier to go? That was the question. Wow. And it was scarier to stay because I thought we're not happy. We were kind of bringing out, like I say, the worst in each other. And I thought this, I don't want this to be the next decade. Do you know what I mean? And 40 yeah. felt like quite a milestone because you still feel young enough that you can kind of, you know, go again. If you see what I mean. Go again, that sounds weird. But, mm. you know, you have another chance at happiness. But, you know, the longer you're in that, you know, perhaps relationship that's not working, then, you know, it is. it gets harder and harder to leave. So... And I remember thinking both of these options are terrifying, staying and, mm. and going, but which is more terrifying? And and at that point, staying and that being our reality was scarier than, than going. That makes sense. And did you feel, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you had spent a lot of your 30s being single and you were the perpetually single one. Did did the, that experience kind of give you the confidence to leave? Because I can imagine you, you'd, you'd already done it. You'd already been around all these young, happy, married families, etc. Mm. Did that kind of set you up for success? Yeah, I mean, I think I always knew that I would be okay on my own, mm. weirdly. Um, because, yeah, I had spent quite a lot of my time being single. Um, and I'd built a life where, you know, having a partner was an amazing addition to my life but it wasn't like the be all and end all um so I think I knew I would be okay and financially I mean I know that's a lot of reasons why people stay in things and luckily I also had financial independence so from that perspective I knew that I'd be okay you know financially by myself yeah um so but yeah, I mean, no one had got divorced in my family. Um, most of my friends weren't, I'm just trying to think if any of my friends were divorced. Maybe a couple, but mostly not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did talk about it with a couple of close friends. Like, I had, like, two or three people that I confided in before I kind of made the final decision so they kind of knew where my head was at. Um, but my family didn't know... I didn't say anything to them at all. Wow. What, until after the divorce? Until until, until I left. Until, yeah. until you left. Wow. Okay. Yeah. They didn't know anything. So, very independent. Yeah. So then you found yourself kind of like early 40s, yeah. single, starting again. Yeah. What happened next? Um, I mean, it's so funny because I came out of a 10-year relationship and dating apps had been invented during that time. So... Um, <laughs> Online dating did exist in a very primitive form before I was married. So it was kind of real old school. I think it was maybe match.com existed where you'd yeah. log on and you didn't really tell anyone you were doing it. It was kind of a little bit taboo at the time. And if you did meet someone like that, you would just kind of lie and say that you met them in a pub. Um, but then I came out and this whole new world existed. And to be honest, at the beginning, I was absolutely terrified. You know, the main one was kind of Tinder and I'd heard loads of mixed stuff about it. Um, and I was like, I don't know how this works, to be honest. 
Um, and it was, shall we just say a baptism of fire going yeah, okay. into dating apps? <laughs> <laughs> I remember you being fairly busy. Um, yeah. But uh, did it feel to you, because it's interesting that, you know, it's all I've ever known, I guess. Actually, mm, ish is yeah in my in my adult life it's all I've ever known but um did it feel like the romance had gone from dating I mean in some ways it was really exciting because I do love the idea that you can kind of meet people that you wouldn't normally meet I love that idea and that kind of um you know I love meeting new people and this was just this amazing way of meeting somebody that I wouldn't come across in my normal social circle or whatever um but yeah, it just, I do, I did kind of miss that eyes across the room, you know, getting a feel for somebody, meeting mm. kind of in the old fashioned way. Um, and also what I didn't like about it at the beginning was there was a lot of game playing, which okay. I guess that always existed in dating, but it just kind of seemed way amplified because of the apps, particularly in a big city. Um, I mean, that's the only experience I have of it. But like, you know, you go what there is so much choice, so many options. <laughs> and people are multi dating, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, what is this? I, that's the bit, that's the bit that I wasn't used to. I wasn't used to people kind of seeing multiple people at the same time. Um, and I think that, you know, the apps have enabled that because, you know, you can just sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll. It's like a catalogue, right? So <laughs> that's the bit that I found the weirdest about it, I think. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It absolutely is a catalogue. And you're right. I mean, I don't know any different, really. But yeah, I guess it's so much easier to ghost and play games um, mm. digitally because you don't have to have those difficult conversations and everything just becomes a bit more disposable. I yeah, is my personal absolutely. view but also yeah, you, don't, you don't really have much of a of a choice either because everyone's on them yeah. so yeah. um but of course and then you you did find someone so tell us what <laughs> happened next because there is a happy ending yeah it's a bit of a crazy one really so do, to be honest I dipped in and out of the apps because you do have to be in the right headspace for it and you know sometimes I'd just be like all oh, right that's it I'm not doing this anymore I, I keep getting disappointed um, and then I'd give it a break for a while and then you'd be tempted back in again. So the particular kind of time that I met my current partner, I was really nonchalant about it all, to be honest. I was kind of in that, oh, well, you know, let's just let's not take it too seriously. Um, and I think what's interesting about the headspace that I was in. So I had already decided to take voluntary redundancy from my job. So I was in this quite carefree, I'm about to have a summer off kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, so I was much more open-minded and relaxed, I would say, probably than normal. So I think my mindset at the time was just like, I'm just going to go on some dates. I'm just going to have fun, right? I'm not going to take it all too seriously. And I'm just going to meet people. And I almost saw it as like making new friends. And then if something came of it, then great. So... I remember I was actually on a photo shoot and there was a lot of sitting around and waiting and so I was on the apps. <laughs> anyway, it was it was it was raining that day and I remember we were just stuck in this trailer like waiting for them to set up the shoot and so we were just kind of sat there like with time to kill. And you know, I'm flicking through my app and I see this guy pop up and I was like, "Oh, it's kind of kind of cool." And so I think I think I sent him like a wink or a whatever it I can't remember which app, you know, whatever you do. <laughs> and um and then he started sort of and he responded like pretty quickly so I got into a chat with him and I think I just didn't clock where he was from I can't remember I, actually it was happen that was the app so we were chatting and we had things in common and he's really into art and food and all this kind of stuff and he said oh what should I do in London on a rainy day and I was thinking well why wouldn't you know we just, we just thought it was a bit of a weird thing to say. And he goes, oh, I'm yeah. actually from London. I'm from Cornwall. I'm just in London visiting my brother. And I still remember going, oh, well, you know, there's no point carrying this conversation <laughs> on. Um, so I just kind of gave him some tips on, you know, what to do. I said, oh, if, if you go to the Tate Modern, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and oh, if you want some, you know, if you want some 
recommendations on bars and restaurants like let me know and he, gets, he said oh yeah what do you recommend so I gave him a few tips and he's like oh you seem he said you seem like a girl about town <laughs> which what I thought you was are. a funny thing to say <laughs> and um I said oh well you know yeah I I like food and whatever and he said oh do you want to go for cocktails on Friday and I remember thinking oh and I do say, I do remember I said to Mandy who we used to work with I was like oh this guy wants to go for cocktails with me on Friday and she's like, why don't you just go? What else are you doing? And I went, actually, I'm not doing anything. Cocktails on a Friday. Yeah, what the hell? So off I went, had cocktails with this guy from Cornwall. and um, But even then, I had a really brilliant night. Like, honestly, we got on like house on fire, drank most of the cocktail menu, <laughs> racked up a massive bill. <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually, I insisted on sharing the cost because I didn't want him to pay the whole bill because it was extortionate. And and then we kind of went our separate ways. And I thought, oh, that was a nice evening, like genuinely. Mm. And then he kind of messaged me and said, oh, I had a great time and kept messaging me. And I actually friend zoned him to begin with. Poor because guy. I just thought, you know, you, you live there, I live here. And I'm about to, you know, have the summer off. I was, I'd booked a trip to Bali for a month. So I wasn't really yes. kind of into it do you know what I mean I just thought well that was fun but long story short we kept in touch and over the next month we would talk you know it started off with like how's your week going you know how you doing and then eventually we'd be talking like every day and then we're chatting on the phone and then I was like well this is inconvenient because now I like him and this was not part of the plan (laughs) (laughs) so yeah totally unexpected at the least kind of I think because I was just so casual about it do you know what I mean yeah well they always say if if you look for it it won't happen it's when you least expect it that these opportunities arise right exactly uh and then you ended up moving to Cornwall um which was lovely so what was that kind of decision process like (laughs) So again, not part of the plan and not that I had one, which I think is really interesting and I guess is a bit of a theme here is that when I when I left RBS, I still remember people saying to me like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I actually don't know. And that was the beauty of it. I, I really wanted to give myself that space. I I'd kind of built in at least three months, if not six months of kind of just seeing where life took me. Um, yeah. And, but after a year of us, so basically we ended up in a relationship pretty quickly after that. And I was doing the back and forth. So I was, you know, I was in London and I was coming down to Cornwall. And after a year, I said, well, someone's got to move, right? If this is going to, this is going to work. And I had least commitments, I guess, really at that point. Um, And to be honest, I was... I was ready to leave London. I'd been in London for like 20 years and I didn't necessarily harper after going to Cornwall, but I thought, well, why not? It's a beautiful place. Let's go. Let's give this a try. So I put my house on uh, up for rent and I put all my possessions in a car, pretty much in a small van and turned up in Cornwall with no plan (laughs) whatsoever and looking back I mean did did you feel like does it does it feel weird that you were so nonchalant and so carefree about it or was that always part of your DNA like because I remember when we were speaking you were saying how leaning into things and being open to experience is always a challenge I just wonder in the two so your divorce um, then dating, then moving to Cornwall, like were they, did, did those decisions come easily to you? No, no. I mean, the whole thing with moving to Cornwall is we kind of talked about it six months in actually, which isn't very long into a relationship, but I knew that we had something and I remember saying to him, you know, how would you feel about me moving to Cornwall? And it was me who suggested it first actually. And he said, well, I would absolutely love that, but only if that's what you want and if you feel ready. And I didn't actually then move for another six months. So I started to kind of say, okay, well, what would I do when I got there? And would I sell my house? Would I rent my house? Like, what does that look like? So even though it looked like a knee jerk decision, it actually was kind of over quite a long period of time. 
so I did have like six months to kind of get my head around it um and I mean I think I just saw it as an adventure really yeah um and I thought well if it doesn't work out I can come back right I mean exactly exactly and I think that's what so we all struggle with this kind of we, we set ourselves our own barriers the whole time and it's that actually they're they're all that they can all be overcome and it's kind of mind mm. over matter mm. exactly so but I still remember the moment though that I kind of I do remember a key moment where I literally rang the estate agent and said you know can you come around and look at my house and let me know what rental I can get for it and then it all felt very very real yeah. Like when he was kind of sat in the lounge and he said, oh, you know, and sort of was talking me through the practicalities of it. And then I was like, OK, the, you know, the ball's rolling now, like I'm I'm doing this. And then he literally found me a tenant within like a week. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, like now this is very, very real. I remember taking the phone call. And he said, right, we've got you a tenant. He wants to move in like ASAP. And I was like, oh, right. OK. I, I, I don't know. I think in my mind, I thought it might take a bit longer. And so then it was literally like, oh, it's 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 happening. You know, I need to like, yeah, sort Crack my on. house out, you know, yeah. like pack stuff up. And yeah, it all became very, very real very quickly. And I but I remember that moment of like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the other kind of just just moving on to, to your career now is like mm. uh, this is another part of your life that's like chopped and changed a bit mm. <laughs> um and I guess change is, is the only constant certainly in mm. your life um but you had this 25 year career in marketing I guess yeah. my first question is whether marketing was something that you always wanted to do did you fall into it kind of how how did you discover it yeah I mean I actually did actively choose to go into marketing or a creative career. So I remember being at school and, you know, you go to the careers advisor and they're like, what do you want to do? And there's all the standard stuff like be a teacher and all these kind of things, you know, all the careers that you know. And I mean, this is going to show my age now, but I used to read Cosmo and Cosmo started having a careers page. I'm not sure when, probably when I was like 16, 17. And there was a career kind of, you know, section and there was copywriter featured one month. And I remember cutting it out and sticking it on my pin board. Cause I was like, well, that sounds cool. I kind of like English. I like writing. I think I'd be good at being a copywriter. So that was like, like my kind of like vision. So when it came to university, you know, most people thought I'd go and study English. That was kind of my strongest subject. And then there was a couple of courses and it was still a really new discipline at the time, which was like media studies. And I remember thinking, well, that sounds really interesting. And it kind of links into this copywriting and advertising. So I actively sought out media courses. And literally at the time, there was a handful in the country. It's probably like 10 maybe mm. in, in the whole of the UK. And it was quite an unusual thing to do. It wasn't kind of what no, I didn't know anyone else that was doing it. My parents were like, what is this media studies? Like, what does that even mean? Um, so I did. Yeah, I did go off and do that and absolutely loved the course. Like best course ever just opens my mind. It was just absolutely brilliant. And so I did come out like actively seeking creative roles you know sort of yeah. journalism or advertising or media of some description so I did have my heart quite set on it and then the time that I left university like it wasn't necessarily a recession but there was a little bit of a kind of downturn and it was really really hard to get into so I actually went off and did like an admin job for a year but I remember saying to myself I'm going to do this for a year and then I'm going to try again so literally a year to the dot I was back like looking at jobs and I, I found um, it was used to go into the Guardian and look at jobs. That's where they were advertised in, in the actual paper. Um, wow. And I saw this ad and I responded, got an interview. And I still remember it was like a really weird interview because they didn't really talk much about like my experience. They wanted to know more about like how I saw the world, like what, what I read what music I listened to, what magazines I was into. And I was like, that's a bit of a weird interview. And I wasn't sure if I'd kind of done well or not. And then I got the call to say, yeah, we we want you. So it was much more about my attitude, which was interesting. Love that. that. Kind of I wish hiring. all interviews were like that. 
Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that began my career in advertising. And uh, it felt like a dream at the beginning, to be honest. It was it was one of those things that, you know, you kind of really want to do. And then, you know, there I was in an ad agency as a little account exec, like learning mm. the ropes from the bottom. So, yeah, it was quite intentional, actually. But then fast forward 25 years, you're now mm. in a very senior role um, mm. in a large corporate, um, mm. I guess, all the things that a lot of marketers out there might want and aspire mm. to have. And then yeah. you're given this decision to take voluntary redundancy. Mm. Um, what was going through your mind at that stage of life? So it's interesting because, as you know, at the time there were lots of restructures, like practically one every six months. And in previous restructures, I'd been really terrified that I was going to lose my job because, you know, it was like, oh, God, you know, am I going to be made redundant? And I think what what was different this time around is, if I'm really honest, I was pretty burnt out um, and I kind of knew the signs of burnout. Um, I'd just been on holiday and normally when I go away, I can just kind of forget it all and relax and chill out. And on this particular holiday, I was still really wired, couldn't relax, couldn't, couldn't kind of chill out and I remember my friend who I'd been traveling with is like you're okay and I was like I'm really not okay I think I just need to really figure out a plan and I had this book that I took on holiday with me called um it's something about like how to quit your corporate career and do something else or something like that (laughs) and you know and I'd had this book on my shelf interestingly so there's there's quite a lovely story here actually is I'd had this book on my shelf since I'd left my partner since I left my husband and when I left I was going to you know when I left him I was going to change everything I was going to leave him I was going to change jobs I was going to and it and then I realized that was way too much to do all in one go so I had this book and it had been sitting on the shelf and one day he came to pick some stuff up from the house and he obviously saw it on the side and he wrote this little note and it said basically um I've seen that this book you know, I wasn't being nosy, but I saw this book kind of on the table and I think you should do it. And then he put love me. Uh-huh. And I thought that was the sweetest thing because he kind of knew me well enough to know that it's something we talked about. And he obviously thought it's something I should do. And I remember tucking the note inside the book and then forgetting about it. And when I took this book on holiday, I actively thought, right, I'll take this book on holiday and the note fell out and I was like okay that's a sign I just felt and I actually cried I was like that's kind of permission weirdly from my mm. ex-husband to do it and I read that book from cover to cover on holiday laying in a hammock and was like highlighting stuff and writing notes and it kind of gave you a step-by-step plan to leave your corporate job basically and by the end of the holiday, I kind of thought, right, I think I can do this. And it was like sort of talking about saving money and trying things on the side and all the things that they kind of talk about when you want to change career. And then weirdly, when I came back, I was called into a meeting and it's like there's a restructure. And I thought, OK, here's another sign. And we'll kind of get to this in a minute. I kind of do believe in signs. Mm. So there's me thinking oh, I'm going to have to save for like one, two years to be able to do this. And there I am being handed basically a redundancy package, like on a plate. Mm. Um, And I remember saying to our boss at the time, she said, oh, what what do you think? And I said, look, can you make my job not exist in this structure? Because I could kind of see that that my role was going to change or perhaps it wouldn't be the same. And I know that they would have kept me probably if I'd really wanted to. Mm-hmm. but I remember just saying to her like can you make my job not exist and she said you just come back from holiday like do you want to think about it for a couple of weeks and I was like okay she goes you know you might just be in post-holiday kind of come down and then a couple of weeks later we caught up again and she said have you thought about it some more and I said I have and she said well what do you think and I said do you know what if I don't do this now I will regret it and she said okay let me leave it with me and then how did you, did you, so you got given a letter. Yeah. And then what were the next steps? Like what, what were you actually going to do? 
I didn't know. I literally did not know. And I remember my boss saying to me, you, you know who she is. She said, what are you going to do? And I was like, I, I don't know. I said, I am absolutely shitting myself. But if I don't do this now at this point with this opportunity, I will always regret it. So all I knew is that I was going to take a bit of time off over the summer. I was going to go to Bali for a month. And that was it. That's as far as my plan went, to be honest. And then you ended up um, retraining, um, you starting afresh. And um, what was it that you retrained to do? Yeah, so at the beginning, I didn't actually. I just kind of carried on. After I had some time off and I started my long distance relationship, I actually did freelance marketing because it was just easy. Mm-hmm. It's what I knew. And it meant that I could kind of, you know, uh, spread my time between London and Cornwall And then when I got to Cornwall, I actually defaulted back into marketing again because it was just easy. You know, it's like, it's what I knew. So I got a job um, down here doing marketing and then that didn't quite work out. And then I got another job doing marketing. And then literally we hit the pandemic and I was furloughed. And I thought, here's another opportunity handed to me on a plate. I'm being paid to not work. (laughs) Like... And I saw that as, right, what did I really want to do that I hadn't done up until now? And I'd been so interested in coaching for such a long time. And I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to grab it. So at the beginning of lockdown last year, that's when I started my coach training. And yeah, so that was the opportunity again. It's like, this is, this is my chance. So when you were retraining to become a coach, in your mind, was this going to be kind of like being a therapist, being a counsellor, a business coach? What kind of coaching did you have in mind? Again, this sounds really weird, but I didn't know. And right. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to lean into the learning. I'm just going to really enjoy this this time. It was almost like I felt like I was kind of going back to university. You know, that like really, I just want to absorb as yeah. much information as possible and I just want to keep a really open mind about where this might take me and I absolutely I mean I love learning and I just really got into um enjoying that just learning yeah. new skills meeting new people getting my mind expanded and I honestly thought let's just see let's just see where it takes me um I didn't really have I mean I guess I thought oh I hope that I can make this into a career you know obviously I had that intention but I didn't go into it with a clear kind of I'm going to be this kind of coach and I'm going to coach this these type of people I just Mm. wanted to just enjoy the process really so how long did it take you to train to be a coach um so it was six months in total um it was made easier because I obviously wasn't working. So some people, it takes longer, but there's kind of some stuff that you you have to do at certain points in time and the rest of it is kind of in your own time. So because I wasn't working at the time, I could kind of, you have to do so many practice hours and you have to, you know, kind of do different modules and things. And I was able to do it in six months because wow. I wasn't working. So I kind of threw everything into it. Um, and that almost became like my kind of full-time thing was, was the retraining. Absolutely. That, I mean, you're never going to get that time again. So you may as well put it to good use. Right. So then you, did you, um, did you want to become like, um, an employed coach? Did you want to set up your own business? Did you have kind of an entrepreneurial spirit that was within you? And did you see yourself wanting to be like a LinkedIn influencer or a social media? Like in your mind, you, you've just trained for six months to become a coach You've got a mark. You've got twenty-five years of marketing experience. I guess you've got decisions to make about how are you gonna make money. How are you gonna yeah. own this new thing that you've got? Yeah. I mean, when when I finished the course, I was actually still furloughed, so I didn't know if I was going back to my job or not. Right. So there was part of me thinking, well, maybe one of the conversations will be if they ask me to go back. I was going to kind of negotiate and say, well, can I come back part-time because I'd like to do some coaching on the side. So in my mind, I didn't really know whether it was going to be a full-time thing, a part-time thing. Um, And then actually I did get made redundant. So then I thought, well, the decision has been made for me. Um, So then I just thought 
I'll just let's give this a go. Let's see if I can make this work. Um, and yeah, I've got a background in marketing and, and it was really interesting because everybody's like, well, if anyone can do this, you can do it. Um, you know, you know how to market yourself, you know how to market, you know, mm. a service or whatever. So then I threw myself like wholeheartedly into, right, I need a website and I need a brand and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I just thought, let's, let's go, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's set up my own coaching business because I'd been freelance before I, I had had a little taste of kind of doing my own thing. So I think I felt slightly braver than I would have done if I'd literally just come out straight out of corporate. Yeah. Um, so I had a little bit of insight into kind of being self-employed and and kind of finding business and that kind of stuff. So, hustling, yeah. you've got to you've got to have that little hustling. bit of hustle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? I mean, it's interesting, and I think we probably have this conversation over the desks. But like to me, from sitting on the corporate side of life, when I look at freelancers and the contractors that we have at work, mm. I'm just always of the view I just couldn't do it. Like mm. I just feel feel like the lack of structure the lack of security the financial Mm. planning all of that stuff Mm. just like gives me the ick um Mm. but do you I mean is that something that you suffered with are you like because you've again like I just come back to the the fact that you were working for um a large corporate pension paid salary every month 30 days annual leave like it's lovely and you've given that all up to like Mm pick up the phone to people and ask and ask for business like is that mm. a huge was that a huge step change for you I know you said you you'd have the contractor side of things but it must be totally different it's totally different and it's hard I'm not gonna lie to you and and anyone who says like oh you know freelancing is like you know this great kind of utopia they're lying mm. it's hard and especially if you have come from that structure and, and, you know, that structure is all I knew, you know, 25 years, it's not like I did it for kind of five years and then flipped over. You know, that's the majority of my adult working life has been structured, getting your monthly wage, you know, knowing exactly where you're going to be. But then on the flip side to that, there's never a guarantee, right? Even in a corporate, you know, you, there can be restructures, you can be made redundant. So yeah. in some ways, it's a false sense of stability because it can mm. be pulled away from you at any moment. So I think that was always in the back of my mind is like, is there ever certainty in anything, really? Um, and yeah. But it's been it's been a massive learning curve. And again, one that I think, you know, should be perhaps taught in school and you know, how do you set up a business? How do you structure yourself? You know, taxes and all this kind of stuff. So I had to learn on the fly um, all of this stuff. And at the beginning, it's totally overwhelming. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just very different. It's just a very different way of working. Yeah. And, you know, being totally honest, and, you know, we know this from the conversation we had prior to this podcast, like I'm still a work in progress on this. And whether I end up entirely self-employed and getting all my work through that route, I'm not entirely sure. So at the moment, I am doing that, but also I'm I'm doing a project that I'm getting paid, like you know, as a salary. normal yeah. normal salary. Um, and I might end up doing a mixture of both, to be honest. So having a bit of kind of you know guaranteed income, and then the rest of it a bit more flexible. So I'm kind of still still playing around with that at the moment to be honest and I guess that's that's the beauty of it all isn't it because there are no rules like you are completely mm. within your gift to be 50% of your time freelance 50% salaried you know yeah. you can do what you want and also it's not to say that I won't actually if the right opportunity came up that I would go and get a job but it would be in coaching that yeah. that's the, that's the difference is you know I'm now starting to sort of see where coaching can fit into different environments and you know it might be that I go and end up working for a business as an in-house coach I don't know um so again I'm just trying to keep that quite fluid but one thing that I am pretty certain on although never say never is I don't necessarily want to go back to a full-time marketing job I think you know (laughs) now that I've now that I've kind of made the shift I'm I'm moving in this direction and and it feels really good so. That's amazing. I still love marketing, though. 
I mean, I still love it a little bit because obviously there is still, I'm still marketing myself, right? So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really, I'm not really out of it. Um, yeah, we I'm all do marketing. I'm still fascinated by it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so. you still love, a, still love a Christmas ad to, to, <laughs> to analyse. So um, talking about your coaching style, your coaching business, how would you describe your, your style of coaching? Yeah, so the coaching kind of um, qualification that I did is called transformational coaching. And what that means is rather than just focusing on like actions and goals, you know, like, you know, what's your goal and how are we going to get there? What we did and what we explored was much more about sort of underlying assumptions, beliefs, values, expectations, attitudes. So a much deeper kind of um questioning really is is what uh, I studied and I really enjoyed that because it's much more of a kind of psychology approach rather than just you know what's your goal and how are we going to get there um bang 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 because actually just focusing on goals isn't always that helpful because there's often a lot of reasons why we're not taking the steps and to do that you kind of need to dig in a little bit more got you and then one of the things that I've always struggled with, because I remember I had a coach at work, as, as you know, mm-hmm. and I, I, I never really understood and I still don't really understand the difference between having a coach, having a mentor, having mm-hmm. a counsellor and having yeah. a therapist. And it's like, yeah. what are the differences between all the sorts of guidance you can get? out? Yeah, there? yeah. No, I mean, it's a really valid question. And also it's a it's a question that's debated in coaching circles, actually. It's like, where is the line? Mm. and different people depending on their style and how they coach and what their background is like there is sometimes a blurring of boundaries around that so from my perspective there's a really great analogy that um another coach talked about in in one of our um, sessions and they talked about it being like a car so as the client you're in the driving seat So you are driving, you are moving forwards. And me as the coach, I'm your co-pilot. So I'm sat next to you and I'm giving you a bit of direction and I'm kind of doing a bit of map reading, but ultimately you're the one driving. And sometimes we'll look in the rear view mirror just to kind of see what's going on. So we'll look at the past because often patterns of behavior or beliefs that we have have come from, you know, childhood or previous experiences And so we'll kind of like look at that, you know, we'll have every now and again, we'll just have a little check in the rearview mirror, but we're not, we're not going backwards. Um, And also sometimes we might stop that journey as coach and client and go, actually, we've reached something now where I think you might need to go and do some further, like kind of deeper work with a therapist. Um, And I would kind of part of our training is to kind of recognize that and think actually, this probably is the scope of the coaching relationship. You probably need to go and do some work separately with with a therapist. Um, and I would have a very honest conversation with a client about that. And I think the other difference with mentors is a mentor is normally somebody who's treaded the path that you're on and is almost like telling you what to do. Mm. Um, and in coaching, I'm not going to say, oh, James, I think you should do this or I think you should do that. Like I might make some gentle suggestions, but at the end of the day, it's coming from you. Um, So it's much more of an exploration of options together. Um, And then you work out kind of which one fits best or sits best. And I'll challenge you, you know, I'll kind of say, well, you know, lots of people say, I can't do that because I should or whatever. And I'll kind of just challenge that was like, whose voice is that? Or Mm. where's that coming from? Um, or I'll, I'll make connections between th- things that kind of are coming up. So you might be talking about one thing and you talk about something else. And I kind of go, hang on, are, they, are those two connected? Um, so it's it's much more exploratory than, you know, do ABC. Um, so that for me is the main thing. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what's like the typical, kind? oh, I keep banging that. What's like the typical brief you would get from a client? Like what what's kind of the the, the trends or the themes that you see in the, in the clients that you coach? Yeah, so I think the thing is is everybody comes to coaching because they want to change something. That, you know, they kind of got to a point where perhaps they're on autopilot and they're just like 
you know, another year passes, another year passes, and they're like, I still haven't changed anything. And I keep talking about it. And I'm bored of talking about it with my friends and whatever. So that's probably the main thing. Or sometimes change has happened to them. So it hasn't been a choice. So they've been made redundant or relationships ended or something has happened that they've then experienced change and they're not quite sure how to navigate it. But change is, is the is the kind of main thing. And they've just recognised that, you know, talking to friends and family only goes so far because they will have their opinions and it's because they care about you and they love you, but it's not impartial. Mm. So... I think the thing that people come to me is like, I just need to talk to somebody completely separate to this situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's that impartiality. And then I would say the biggest thing that I love to work on and that I think is just so important is what is what you want and what is society? Yeah. Um, that's the biggie for me, which is why my coaching practice is called You Do You because so much of what we think we should be doing is actually being dictated to us by external factors, be it friends, be it family, be it society, consumerism, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really love to unpick that with people and say, right, what do you actually want? Um, And sometimes people really don't know because they've never asked themselves that question. And do you think you've fallen foul of, conforming to social norms yes and I guess that's why I'm so passionate about it and you know most coaches will come to their coaching practice with a personal story and a personal journey um so yeah I mean I've always felt that I should be doing certain things um you know I did what a good girl does and you know I got good grades at school and I went to university and then I got a good job and then you do all of those things, everyone's like, when are you going to get married? And then when you get married, it's like, when are you going to buy a house? And then you're going to have kids. And then you're going to have another kid. And yeah, I did get caught up in all of that. Hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, this is one part of the story that we haven't mentioned, but I actively decided not to have children. Um, and that was a really, really difficult decision because there was a huge amount of pressure on me to do that. Hmm. And yeah, I decided not to. Why was that, if you don't mind me asking? It was, do you know, again, it was loads of loads of little reasons. Like, it wasn't one big reason. Part of it was I saw all my friends having kids and it looked like it was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> that was one thing. Um, secondly is I, I do love my independence and I wasn't sure how I would, you know, find it. Um, I wasn't sure I was in the right relationship, you know, and I obviously ended up leaving. So there was those things that were going on in the back of my mind. Um, and me and my partner, my, my husband had that conversation where I said, I don't know if I want children. And he said, Oh, cause we always just said that we would, it was just like, Oh, later, 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 you know, it's like, Oh, we'll do that later. We'll do that later. I got to my late thirties and I was like, well, when's later? Like surely later's like now. Um, and then I sort of, you know, did a lot of deep thinking and I actually read a book and again, signs, I was staying with a friend for the weekend and we went into this secondhand bookshop and, you know, we were just having a little, you know, look around and I went to the psychology section cause that's where I always go. And there was this book and it said, um, child free and loving it. And I was like, well, that book's got my name on it. So I bought this book (laughs) and then I read it all the way home on the train from Leicester, which is where I was. And I just resonated with everything in that book. And then I kind of said, well, it just gave me an alternative view on like, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to. Um, But then taking it back, because I guess I've heard, I've heard people talk about making those decisions to not have kids, making those decisions to be single in your thirties or making the decision to be single and living alone almost feels like it's so far removed from what society dictates Mm. that it almost Mm. feels like you've got to come out and justify it. So I Mm. guess my question is like when you made the decision to not just get divorced or not just move to Cornwall, but then also make a decision to not have kids, like, 
Mm. How did you feel like, because I can only relate it to almost coming out of the closet. Did you feel Mm. like you had to come out and like tell your parents or tell your family or tell your friends that you didn't want kids? Yeah, yeah, I did. Like, I remember having the conversation with my mum because she'd been going on about it, as mums do. When are you going to have kids? I want to be a grandmother. And and I said, mum, like, I'm going to have kids if I want kids, not just because you want to be a grandmother. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, I remember having the conversation with her and I said, I'm not, I've decided not to have children. And it was like a mic drop moment. There was, there was literally silence. And my mum was like, she was like, oh, and she said, oh, well, I did start to think, you know, she sort of, because I wasn't, you know, I was, you know, 38, 39 by this point. And because I hadn't until this point. But it's interesting because she assumed that it was because I was a career woman, is what she said. She said, is it because you're a career mm. career woman? And it was part of it, but it wasn't wasn't the only reason. Um, but it was quite interesting, isn't it? That, that you know, the yeah. labels, like, I'm a career woman, um, whatever that means. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I was the eldest, so I was kind of the first one to put that stake in the ground of, like, you know, I'm not doing this. And I've got brothers and sisters, and, and they they have had children. Um, so I'm kind of like the lone wolf in the family that's taken a different path. Yeah. But it's, I, I don't know, I just, it just, it like, it's just so frustrating that there's all these, like, norms that we, that like, why should it be a shock, or why should it be different, or why should it, you know why can't we all just make our own decisions and people be happy with that type thing? Yeah, so it's interesting that you say that because I get this a lot with my coaching clients as well, where they're like, you know, we'll end up having a discussion and they'll be like, oh, what will my friends say? Or what will my parents say? Or what will Mm. these people say? And, you know, my one question is like, well, why is that important? Exactly. Exactly. and, you know, again, a bit of a mic drop moment. And why is that important? Because often people's opinions about what you should or shouldn't be doing is actually not always, but often based around what they have done. Oh, God, yeah. So, it's lived experience, yeah. Yeah. So are they, you know, controversially, are they just trying to justify their own choices? quite possibly and I've also been doing a lot of work or well doing a lot of reading around um Carl Jung's individuation process and it's all about you know being your full self and we've all got Mm. these archetypes and we've got shadow personalities and actually Mm. when you start being exactly who you are both your conscious and self-conscious personalities it Mm. all sounds a bit psyche here Mm. I don't mean it to be but it's so liberating to just own your own decisions and like I, it's something that I'm actively working on every day to just like think about what is important what isn't important do I care do I not care and you and it takes work I know when we talked mm. last week we talked about this like it requires constant self-talk working on it every single day to help guide our decisions that we need to make every single day so it is interesting that so many people so many people I mean if you really sat there and you did a lot of self in you know self-evaluation and self-analysis you would probably find that a lot of people's day-to-day decisions are made based on what they think they should do rather than what they should do to make themselves happy if that makes any sense um it does that's a good segue, though, because I'm keen to unpick what your kind of guiding beliefs are throughout all the change that you've experienced. Because, like I said earlier, change has been an absolute constant in your life. Um, and it definitely feels like and the reason why you're here, I guess, is because you have had this extraordinary life of being really good at not conforming and, and mm. leaning into decisions and something that we talked about again was about taking risks and a lot of people don't leave their jobs they don't take voluntary redundancy because they're scared of the unknown so Mm. I'm keen to understand what your thought processes are what your guiding beliefs are and how you've navigated all the trials and tribulations that have been thrown your way yeah so it's interesting because one of the things that you know this is going to sound like a cliche now but I worked with a coach on all of Mm. this stuff So when I was leaving RBS, when I took voluntary redundancy, as part of that, I had some money left over in my training budget. And I said, can I have a coach? And, you know, they were like, yeah, you can do whatever you want with it. So 
I had a coach and she helped me navigate that kind of very initial, like, I actually really don't know what I'm doing. And it's really interesting because when we first had the first conversation, she said to me, right, tell me as much as you feel comfortable sharing about your life because it gives me context. So I was like, (laughs) I told her everything Um, because I'm like an open book. And she said, that's brilliant because these are all, all these things are connected. You know, every decision you've ever made and all the sort of things you're sharing with me, they're all connected. So let's work through that. But I do remember her saying to me, like, what do you want? What do you want to get out of this? And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. Because I thought, I just want some coaching. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, what what do I want to be coached in? And she made me go off and have a think about it. And basically, I came up with two kind of key themes. So one was embracing uncertainty. And how do we lean into uncertainty? So the theme that we've been talking about today. So that was one theme. And the other thing was I recognised, I was self-aware enough to recognise that I had patterns of behaviour that I kept repeating over and over. And I wanted to dig into that and get under the skin of it. And and so they were the two things that we worked on. So the embracing uncertainty bit was really interesting because we talked a lot about risk and risk taking and, you know, I quit my job and I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and what she was great at helping me realize is that actually I'd often been braver than I gave myself credit for. Mm. Um, And that, ordinarily it had worked out so it's almost like kind of just looking back on key moments where you've probably been a bit brave and I didn't even recognize myself as a brave person but she helped me to realize that I'd actually done quite a lot of brave things and she said because I was like oh I'm really risk averse and then we we'd go through it and she's like well those things don't sound like somebody who's risk averse to me like jumping on a plane all by yourself when you're 14 and traveling and doing all yeah. these kind of things. That doesn't sound like a risk averse person. And then she's like, who's the risk averse person really? Mm. And it wasn't me. It was some family stuff. Do you know what I mean? It was some family stories. Um, and then the, the patterns of behavior was really interesting. So most people have probably heard of cognitive behavioral therapy um and coaching often uses cognitive behavior as well so you will look at things like limiting beliefs so stories that you tell yourself um words that you use so i catastrophize worst case scenario and as we were talking she would sort of just she was holding up a mirror and playing back some of the language that i was using (laughs) so she was like you know, I'd say something like, oh, I always have to do everything. And she's like, okay, that's very dramatic. Like, do you always have to do everything? And it was just somebody pointing out just even just the words yeah. I was using. Mm. Um, and that's the catastrophizing thing is really interesting because it's actually there to keep you safe. So those of us that get anxious will know that if you planned out every possible outcome it means you're prepared. Like no matter what happens, like if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, right, I know what I would do in every single scenario. And you, you start with the worst. And she was like, how is that helping you? Do you know what I mean? It was just like, I just remember these key moments of, and I thought I was pretty self-aware, but you know, like you've, we've all got a blind spot that we Mm. can't see unless somebody else holds up a mirror. So for me, it was just having somebody else kind of, yeah, play back stuff that I was saying and, and really listening and spotting those connections and made me realise that I had strengths that I hadn't even realised. I was braver than I realised. Um, and, yeah, just changing the story that I had in my head, to be honest. That's so, that must have been so, I don't know what the word is, empowering, motivating, inspiring, yeah. All of those things. And and also that, you know, the belief in coaching is that we're all like, we all have that within us. Yes. Um, And we all have the ability to, to, you know, navigate our own lives and make our own decisions. You just have to kind of unlock it. Yeah. Um, So having somebody help me unlock that and realise my strengths and 
you know, recognizing things that I hadn't really even thought of as successes, just having somebody else point that out was really, really empowering. Um, yeah, no. So, I mean, you're not you're not the first podcast guest to talk about coaching or therapy. Mm. I mean, I, I I think I'm almost at 100 percent success rate of every single guest that I've had on has had therapy, mm. um, including myself. And it's like mm. I cannot tell you how it's really hard to articulate the f- how much it does help. Mm. Um, but but it does, and I, and I mm. and I really wish I could bottle it up and sell it because yeah. I'd be a very rich man. Like I agree, what the I formula agree. is um, and I, yeah. I've had both actually I have had both um <clears throat> and I do think they play different roles depending on where you're at so I've definitely had to do some digging where I've been you know more emotionally upset about particular things and definitely therapy has been the right um route for me at that point but then yeah. other times when I'm sort of you know feeling more that I kind of just want to move forward then coaching has been the right right choice for me so I think the two complement each other at different points depending on where you're at that's good to know for anyone that is interested in what the difference is between <laughs> the two now you know um so before we come to the end I was keen to just understand how you stay on top of your mental health do you do anything do you have any routines habits rituals that you do on a daily or weekly basis yeah so um one thing is uh swimming I swim like three times a week and that for me just is, I mean, I love it, not, not in the water. Everyone's like, oh, you, well, you mean in the sea because you live in Cornwall? And I'm like, oh no, actually it's in a <laughs> swimming pool. So then I feel like <laughs> just like wasting an opportunity. But um, yeah, swimming is just, it's sort of quite mindful as well. Just, you know, I kind of let my thought, thoughts flow as I'm swimming. Um, I do use apps like Headspace that kind of stuff so um not every day to be honest but you know there are key moments where I can feel my mind getting very busy and then I'll kind of plug back in um and you know I find things like body scans really helpful just really getting back into the body and out of my head um so you know just focusing on you know relaxing every sort of muscle in your body um walking you know we all did a lot of that in lockdown but yeah Again, I do live in a particularly beautiful part of the world. Um, And again, I practice mindfulness when I'm walking. So I'll be like, what can I see? What can I hear? How do I feel? I think the main thing, I'm just recognising this now, of all of those activities is getting out of my head and into my body is the key thing there. Um, Because I'm an overthinker and to try and slow that all down by getting into my body is um, it's kind of the quickest way to, to do that, I think. Definitely. I mean, I saw something today, actually. I think Joe Wicks posted it, of all people, which was, if you look after your body, your men- you know, if you, if you walk for your mental health, your body will follow or something like that. Mm. Basically saying that you shouldn't train for aesthetics. You should train for your mental health um, yeah. or you should exercise for your mental health. So um, one thing that I ask all my guests to do is write a little letter to their younger selves. I just wondered, is, is that something you've done? I've not actually asked you. No? Do you know, I haven't, but I did have a little think about it. Okay. Um, so I haven't written a whole letter, but I guess what I would say to my younger self is um, basically trust your gut. Because if I go back to... I often think about this and it's a really lovely exercise that I do actually love to do with clients is what did you do for fun when you were a kid that Mm. you stopped doing? And, you know, I've done quite a lot of work on my own values. Again, it's something that I do with clients, which is really getting back to like, before you were told what to do before, like all the kind of expectations, like what did you just do because you loved doing it? And, you know, I've gone back to that and that's how I've, I've come to my own values. And when I look back on it, it's just like, there is this inner wisdom that we all have that you kind of just know. And it's like, at what point did I stop listening to that? Yeah. Um, so if I look back on sort of key moments where that gut instinct was really strong and really loud and I followed that, it's worked out. 
Um, so I think it would just be, I would just say to my younger self, just trust that. Just really, really trust it because it's not wrong. Um, and it's weird because yeah. people go, what does your gut even mean? Like it's this soft, it's, you know, it's a saying, isn't it? Like what, what is that? And again, I would say that's coming back into your body. It's kind of listening to, because what is your gut? You know, I mean, is it, is it literally physically your stomach? It's not. It's just a kind of like inner feeling, isn't it? Like a, a body feeling yeah. um, about whether something's right for you or not. Um, no, you know, I love talk that. About, people talk about energy, don't they? They go, oh, I got a good vibe off somebody or, oh, you know, the vibes were a bit weird or you know, kind of you walk into a room and you go, oh, I can feel a negative energy here. Like, what is that? It's it's tuning into something quite um, primal, I think. And I yeah. think over, you know, we rationalise everything so much in, in, you know, the modern world that we've kind of almost like forgotten about our intuition and our gut and all those kind of things. So. Grey areas, which can tell you more than the black and whites and the data and the science. Yeah, for sure. I mean gut gut instinct when you truly listen to it, it is often you know can provide you all the answers that you need i think mm, i believe so too anyway listen that was a fascinating insight into the life of claire Saunders. i was gonna say claire saunders claire saunders, oh, claire saunders. <laughs> um, it's weird actually because that's not even that's my married name maybe i should change it yeah i remember talking i remember you telling me this when we first met um but you're but why don't we just call you the founder and ceo of you do you coaching um far more <laughs> i love glamorous. that ceo that sounds fantastic ceo yeah i always want to be a ceo um <laughs> but thank you so much it was such a pleasure to um speak to you properly for after all these years um so much wisdom so much insight and just like your your life story just all the things that you've been through is, is super super interesting so Wishing you all the best for your coaching career as well. And hopefully when you're in London, we'll, um, I mean, it's still the same office we we were in last time I saw you, but we can uh, go for drinks in, um, in the city. Sounds awesome. Anyway, all the very best. Take care and um, I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you once again, Claire, for joining me. If you enjoyed listening, please head over to my Instagram page and check out my podcast account at extra underscore ordinary underscore podcast for even more extraordinary goodness. Until next time, stay safe and I'll see you soon.